Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we're delving into White Trash, a provocative exploration by Nancy Eisenberg, which retells the often overlooked and disparaged tales of America's poor white demographic. The book presents a compelling narrative that traces the historical experiences of this group from the early colonial era through major events like the Civil War and the Great Depression, culminating in contemporary times. Nancy Eisenberg, a distinguished historian at Louisiana State University, employs her expertise to debunk the myths and cultural perceptions that have long shrouded the reality of white poverty in the United States. With her highly regarded analytical prowess, showcased in her several award-winning publications on American history, Eisenberg offers readers a deeply researched account of how biopolitical and social ideas have historically influenced the lives of white trash Americans. This book is a thought-provoking journey for readers with an avid interest in American sociology and those wanting to understand the historical dynamics of class in the United States. It's also particularly valuable for students of American politics and culture who are looking to engage with alternative historical narratives that challenge mainstream perspectives. Join us as we explore the themes and insights of white trash, providing an eye-opening perspective on American history through the lens of a population segment that has been both vilified and romanticized over the centuries. Whether you're seeking to broaden your knowledge of social history or unpack the complexities of cultural identity in America, white trash is sure to offer a rich and enlightening experience. White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America Introduction, Unveiling the Untold Narrative of America's White Underclass From the fringes of society to the center stage of political debates, the story of America's white trash is one of intrigue and endurance. It's a tale that begins not in the 20th century with the birth of trailer parks, but one that's interwoven with the very origins of the nation itself. This narrative unveils the complex tapestry of poor white America and traces its influence throughout the country's history. But why is this story important now? Unlocking the past offers invaluable context to the present, where heated discussions about class, race, and the voting patterns of white Americans have stormed to the fore. It helps us to understand not only historical patterns of disenfranchisement and struggle, but also how these elements echo in contemporary society. So let's embark on a journey through time, uncovering the origins, evolution, and enduring legacy of America's white underclass. Discover how Benjamin Franklin's vision of westward expansion encapsulated the hopes of easing class tensions, how revered figures such as Abraham Lincoln and Elvis Presley shared connections with this demographic, and why the calamities of the Great Depression shifted national focus away from ingrained eugenic ideals. These insights and revelations paint a richer, if more complex, picture of American history and offer a new lens through which to view the social landscape of today's United States. Part 1. Exploring the Seeds of Division in Early American Society In the very fabric of America's origins, 
lies a story of deep social stratification. Like the DNA of a family tree, the roots of this class-based society can be traced back to its inception. So let's travel back in time to America's colonial days, when the soil of this new nation was first turned and sowed with the seeds of inequality. The 1600s marked more than just the discovery of a new continent. It was a chance for England's elite to offload their indigent populations. North America, vast and wild, was perceived as an empty slate by the settlers, disregarding the indigenous societies that had existed for centuries. Here, the disenfranchised, including convicts and even children, found themselves shipped across oceans, as if exiled to a living purgatory with hopes of redemption through hard labor. Virginia, the pioneer of southern colonies, became the emblem of America's entrenched class system. Its tobacco fields symbolized both the wealth of the rich owners and the toil of the indentured poor who worked the land as payment for their passage from England. While some found fortune, for many, it was akin to trading one form of bondage for another. The North presented its own version of disparity. New England, painted with the pious brushstrokes of Puritanism, espoused beliefs far from the practice of equality. The societal ladder was as rigid as religious doctrine, with poor whites and black slaves positioned firmly at the bottom. Gender played a pivotal role too. Female fertility became a cornerstone of a healthy society, with women viewed much like the land itself, as territories requiring male stewardship to ensure prosperity and population growth. Cross-class unions, a mingling of rich and poor bloodlines, were taboo for the elite feared dilution of their pedigree. As America stood on the precipice of independence, what did this complex hierarchical society hold in store? Would it challenge these early foundations or embrace them? Let's pursue these questions as we delve into the era of revolution and the ambitions of the founding fathers for their fledgling nation. Part two, the founding fathers paradox, a utopian dream anchored in class realities. When we think of the American Revolution, we often conjure images of liberty, equality, and the pursuit of happiness, noble ideals touted by the United States' founding fathers. But when we peek behind the curtain of this utopian vision, we discover it was not quite free from the shadows of classism that stained the fabric of the era. Take Benjamin Franklin, whose intellect and foresight remain renowned. He dreamt of an America where social divides could be dissolved by spreading the population thinly across the land, with each person claiming their own slice of the American dream. This, Franklin reasoned, would dampen the flames of class conflict by creating distance between competing interests. At a glance, such a philosophy exudes equality. However, Franklin's blueprint did not account for those bound by unfreedom, the laborers and the indentured who had no stake of land to call their own. His plan, in truth, aimed at safeguarding the wealth of the privileged by creating a buffer of middle-class contentment to stand guard against the unrest from below. Similarly, President Thomas Jefferson, though voicing an egalitarian sentiment, could not fully detach his vision from his privileged Virginian roots. Overlooking the structural barriers trapping the lower classes, he attributed their plights to variables like land fertility rather than the rigid social order. Jefferson's reformative efforts 
were underwhelming at best. His proposal to endow landless men with 50 acres each, an act that could arguably have leveled the playing field, never passed into law, vanishing from the pages of the state constitution drafts. To Jefferson, the promise of social assent was less a question of social reform and more a matter of biological destiny. He speculated that sexual selection and inherent superiority would eventually coalesce into an accidental aristocracy. Those naturally suited to lead would simply surface over time. In examining these early architects of American society, we see the interplay of progressive ideals shackled by the enduring biases of class. Their visions of the future remained clouded by the classist paradigms they inherited, revealing the complex contradictions at the heart of America's founding ethos. Part 3. The Dichotomy of the American Frontiersmen, Heroes and Antiheroes of the Western Odyssey. Picture the untamed landscapes of the West, waiting like a blank canvas for the brushstrokes of ambition and hope. In the 1800s, this was the proving ground for the Founding Fathers' grand ideas, where scores of poor whites sought to weave their destinies under an open sky. But this rugged attempt at self-reinvention was riddled with hardships and marred by poverty. A far cry from the propertied prosperity once envisioned by visionaries like Jefferson. These were the millions who, driven by dreams of prosperity, moved to regions that today form states like Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Missouri. Rather than securing property rights and flourishing, however, these settlers often became illegal squatters, hitching their hopes to lands where their claims were tenuous at best. So where did the myth of the prospering pioneer fall apart? The main hindrance was practical. The absence of roads, markets, and basic societal structures rendered traditional commerce nearly impossible. The settlers, eking out a living in isolation, adopted a life of autarky, planting their own sustenance and roaming territories often shared with indigenous peoples. They were viewed by more civilized society as uncouth renegades, with tales of their supposed barbarity, from vulgar dwellings to public indecencies, spreading like wildfire. Yet, as the pages of history turned, the image of these squatters softened in the public eye. The raw individualism and rejection of materialism they exhibited began to crystallize into what we now recognize as the American spirit, the defiant pursuit of freedom and rejection of authority. They transformed from societal outcasts into emblematic figures of American identity. Figures like President Andrew Jackson and Congressman Davy Crockett embodied the spirit of these frontiersmen, their squatter roots both a badge of honor and a source of contentious debate. Their backwoods bravado and straightforwardness appealed to the growing American appetite for untamed adventure and rugged independence. Through their stories, the pioneers of the West acquired a legendary status, a blend of hero and anti-hero, in the evolving saga of American culture. Part 4. Deconstructing Class and Race. Narratives in the Crucible of the Civil War. Amidst the distant thunder of cannon fire and the rising tension of societal divides, the American Civil War ignited not only a battle over territory, but also a clash of ideologies concerning the poor white populace. The fissure separating the northern and southern ways of life had grown too wide to bridge. The South clung fiercely to its social hierarchy, supported by the pillars of slavery 
and a belief in the upper class's resemblance to noble English cavaliers. In this narrative, the presence of impoverished whites wasn't a stain on their society's honor, but a testament to antebellum elites' inherent grace and authority. The North, waving the flag of a society formed from free labor, saw the bondage of African Americans as a bane, a system that suppressed wages and perpetuated the impoverishment of white laborers. From southern plantations to northern factories, the issue of class was inseparable from the institution of slavery. As the war waged on, the southern confederacy rallied behind the defense of slavery as both a natural societal order and an economic necessity. They argued that it was the North, with its mingled ranks of black and white laborers, that had destabilized the natural hierarchy. The familiar figure of the cavalier was leveraged to forge a sense of solidarity among all classes of the South, rebranding the Northerners as the true mudsills, the lowest strata of social order. Nevertheless, the crippling reality persisted as slaves monopolized the farming and manual labor positions. Poor white Southerners grappled with scarcity and unemployment. Discontent simmered and revolts sparked against deprivation. Desertion rates among Confederate troops soared, often a silent scream against the inequities endured. Conversely, the Union proudly donned their designated role as mudsills, embracing an egalitarian conviction that glued the North together with high morale. The Union soldiers marched, fueled by the belief in their campaign for equality a stark contrast to the fracturing social fabric of the South. As the war's specter loomed across the nation, it became starkly evident. The Civil War was not only a territorial struggle, but a duel of narratives contesting visions of race, class, and the very foundations of American identity. Part 5. The Resurgence of Classist and Racist Ideals Disguised as Scientific Progress In the aftermath of the Civil War's carnage, and the promises of reconstruction, America's troubled relationship with class and race found a new expression, this time cloaked in the deceptive robes of science. The pseudoscience of eugenics, with its siren song of human betterment and its fixation on bloodlines, took root in an already fertile ground of class distinction and racial prejudice. Eugenics, seductive in its simplicity, postulated that the human species could be perfected through selective breeding, much as one might breed prize livestock. It wasn't long before this theory found champions among the nation's elite, including none other than President Theodore Roosevelt. He declared prolific motherhood among Anglo-American women of suitable stock a national duty, urging the production of little citizens as if they were a new crop to enrich the American fields. Thus, the sinister alchemy of eugenics transmuted deep-seated biases into seemingly objective science, the murky waters of IQ testing and medical investigations into underfed communities provided the so-called evidence needed to perpetuate a cycle of discrimination. Interclass and interracial marriages became a social taboo, and the bodies of young, impoverished white women became battlegrounds for forced sterilization, all in the name of a superior American progeny. The arm of eugenic thought was long, and its grasp was felt in the very fabric of American civil law. By 1931, 
more than half of the states in the Union had enacted laws sanctioning sterilization, targeting a swath of the population deemed undesirable for procreation. A troubling alliance emerged among intellectuals, healthcare professionals, media, and lawmakers who were united by a belief in the virtues of human breeding programs. Such was the fervor of eugenicists that they dared to argue against the individual's inherent right to love, marry, and parent without the state's intervention. The emergence of eugenics not only reflected a continuity of America's troubled engagement with inequality, but it also forged new pathways for prejudice, masquerading as a quest for genetic excellence. This dark chapter in American history serves as a cautionary tale about the perils of science distorted by the specters of racial and class bias. Part 6. From Economic Ruin to a Reassessment of the Poor, the Turning Tide, Post-Depression. The Roaring Twenties came to a screeching halt with the onset of the Great Depression, plunging the United States into an economic abyss. This disaster did not discriminate based on class. The destitution was so vast that even those who once stood comfortably within the middle class found themselves in a reality they had previously only seen from afar, a life akin to the maligned white trash. With one in five American workers unemployed in 1932, the societal facade that had long concealed deep-rooted class divisions began to crack. Migrant farmers, dispossessed of their lands, formed makeshift settlements, concrete manifestations of widespread despair lining the highways of California. Yet it was in this crucible of shared suffering that the narrative began to change. President Franklin D. Roosevelt steered the nation on a path of reform, championing policies aimed at halting the downward spiral. Through the Resettlement Administration and its various initiatives like the Tennessee Valley Authority, the government became an active participant in the reclamation and regeneration of lives and lands. It was the first time that the psychological scars of poverty were confronted as hurdles to overcome, not shameful stigmas to bear. These public agencies empowered people to rebuild with dignity, proving that with opportunity and assistance, the challenges facing the less fortunate could be alleviated. During this same period, the scientific community began to dismantle the myths that had long held the poor responsible for their circumstances. Sociologist H. Odom emerged as a pioneer, showcasing through his research that the disdain of the affluent for the so-called white trash stemmed from a self-serving denial of societal accountability. His studies illuminated a path forward, one where, with adequate resources, education and chances, even the most impoverished communities in the South could be transformed into thriving hubs of productivity and stability. Through the dark days of the Great Depression, America relearned a critical lesson, that the misfortune of the poor was not a genetic curse but a societal failure, one that could be redressed through social reform and human compassion. The Great Depression, in its ruthless equality of suffering, became a catalyst for change, challenging long-held prejudices and breathing new life into the fight for social justice. Part 7. The Cultural Ascension of White Trash in American Pop Culture As the 20th century hit its stride, American culture underwent a colorful metamorphosis, 
sparked in part by a poor boy from the Deep South, a certain Elvis Presley. His story, a quintessential tale of rags to riches, straight out of a shotgun shack in Tupelo, Mississippi, resonated with the nation and nudged the idea of white trash into the spotlight. Elvis's ascent catalyzed a cultural renaissance where what was once derided was now celebrated with a curious mix of respect and commercial delight. The term white trash was slowly reclaimed, worn like a defiant emblem of authenticity against the sterile backdrop of suburban life. Amid the identity politics waves in the 50s and 60s, as groups rallied around ethnic and social kinships, class lines blurred. The mainstream hungered for a taste of the unfettered spirit and rawness of redneck culture. NASCAR, an embodiment of this cultural shift, raced into American hearts, taking a piece of outlaw bootlegger history to primetime entertainment. However, the reception of white trash culture was not uniformly positive. It was a dual-edged sword. Entertainment often cast the white poor as fodder for humor, with shows like The Beverly Hillbillies and The Andy Griffith Show, drawing laughs from their caricatured simplicity. The criticism aimed at welfare, a structure Republicans labeled as a factory of dependency, further tainted the white underclass as architects of American decay. As the scapegoats for a medley of societal woes, be it violence, economic slump, or moral decline, the hillbilly ghettos in northern urban sprawls like Baltimore, Chicago, and Cincinnati became cautionary tales, exemplifying the perils of ignoring the white poor. The conversation around southern white trash culture hit new heights in the 1990s, capturing not just historical class struggles, but also modern societal tensions. Bill Clinton, with his extraordinary journey from humble beginnings to the White House, his troubled past, sexual controversies, and charismatic aura, became the era's poster child, simultaneously championed and vilified. For good or ill, Clinton's image and political battles brought the narrative of the American underclass into the national discourse, painting a complicated picture of pride, prejudice, and cultural complexity. Final summary. The story of America's white underclass is as old as the nation itself, a thread dyed with the colors of struggle and tenacity that runs through the country's historical tapestry. From the early days of colonialism to the modern age, the narrative of this group has been marked by both discrimination and a unique cultural significance. The pioneering spirit of the white poor, although marred by classist prejudice and eugenic beliefs, has left an indelible mark on American culture. From the mudsills of the Civil War to the Western homesteaders on the frontier, they have come to symbolize the rugged individualism and the relentless pursuit of a better life that is often idealized in the American narrative. As icons of the American dream like Elvis Presley rose, they transformed the once derogatory term white trash into a badge of authenticity, countering the blandness of mid-century suburbia. Yet the pendulum of public perception has swung both ways, with entertainment and political rhetoric occasionally casting the white lower class in a less favorable light. Ultimately, the story of America's white underclass spans from the social hierarchies transplanted from Old World England 
to modern-day battles over identity and class consciousness. Their story serves as a reminder of America's ongoing struggles with class disparities, as well as the resilience and cultural contributions of those who have historically been marginalized. In capturing the essence of the white lower class, we are confronted with the paradoxes and complexities of the American spirit, a narrative forged in the fires of adversity and the relentless pursuit of opportunity. This journey through America's class dynamics offers not just a history lesson, but a lens to examine the societal challenges and triumphs that continue to shape the United States. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.